Hello and welcome to the second ever recording of the Coaches View podcast, a podcast hosted by professional football coaches for those of you who want to delve a little more deeply into the world of football. I am one half of the team, Harry Brooks, and I am joined, as I always will be, by Richard Webster. Richard, how are you? Yeah, very good. Thanks, mate. Yourself? Yeah, not too bad. Trying to crack on and keep sane this crazy time. What have you been up to this last week? Oh, just keeping busy, mate. Different projects on the go, all, all football-based projects. Uh, doing a home training program for our guys at the academy at the moment. That's quite that's quite fun. That's quite interesting. And just a few other, other little things. Trying to keep busy, trying to keep sane and uh, concentrate on the podcast, mate. Yeah, I mean, I'm asking you what we've been up to in this last week. Like, I don't talk to you every night at 2am with new ideas and new business ventures that we can be doing in this time. <laughs> but there we are. Glad to see you're doing well. Um, so today, we are going to be discussing a topic that's certainly relevant to, you know, me and you, Richard. And that is the cycle of football and the current cycle of football. And perhaps why the current cycle and the cycle in recent eras has led to less of the creative geniuses, the magicians, the plays that we grew up with and loved to watch, the ones that astounded us and didn't conform to normality. So I guess the best place to start, Richard, if you don't mind, would be for those who maybe aren't aware to describe exactly what a cycle of football is. Yeah, sure. So for me, a cycle of football is is a style of football or a, a tactical style that predominates a uh, an era or a, a mini a mini era at the top level of the game. So it would be um, going back a few years. You would think about tiki taka as a um, a football cycle where possession and and keeping hold of the ball and your ability to pass and, and move and create spaces that way uh, would be the predominant style. That was that was a highly sought after ability, um, mainly because of the success of of a certain certain teams, uh, Spain and Barcelona being um, the most dominant at that time, uh, and then. You know, now that that style has, has moved to one side, there's normally a natural shift from that style to another. So we're now seeing a, a slightly different cycle of football. But that, for me, would summarise a, a cycle of football would be a style or a um, or a, a type of play that predominates mostly the top level of the game and then has a big influence on on lots of football teams. Yeah, completely. And I guess you know the current cycle of football. Well, for me, I would say that the current cycle of football is. There's two main factors to it, you know, in terms of teams we look at and players that are perhaps, you know, being produced and bought. And that is, you know, teams and players that are tactically disciplined and athletic. You know, that, that is the two key phrases and the two key words, I should say, that for me dominate this current cycle of football. Would you agree with that? Uh, yeah, 100%. I think certainly um, from the athleticism, uh, the game's only getting faster and players are getting stronger. The rise of sports science is, has been remarkable over the last years. Um, I think that's starting to dominate and creep more and more into the coaching side, uh, p- perhaps even overtaking um, what would, you know, classical coaching from, from before. They've got such a massive influence now. That's certainly changed um, changed the game. Um, and then the, the tactical awareness and understanding has is, is definitely uh, developed as well, where players now are, are able to play uh, different roles, different functions within the team. Um, so I think those those two would summarise it for me, definitely. Yeah, and I think you've just sort of filmed the talk, first of all, about the how the game has developed tactically. And I, I think you said it there. I think that, you know, we're seeing a, a rise in players that are, you know, being bought and being produced to fill specific roles within a team. And for me, it's almost like nowadays it appears that 
unless you are defined by role, then you don't really have a place in a team, which I think for me is, is you know, that is something that I've noticed, definitely from the outside, you know, um, from fans watching in, etc. And even you could say, you know, on the professional teams themselves, I think that if you look at a lot of teams nowadays and, you know, the influence that managers have, you know, they want players that perform X, Y, Z when they do it. You know, there's, there's certainly less allowance for players nowadays that, you know, don't conform to, you know, the tactical regiment and can sort of, you know, express themselves with the outside, outside the tactical structure. And I think that's something that I've definitely noticed, you know, that more and more it seems to be that if you aren't a role filler as a player, then you don't really have a place in the team, which, you know, I personally don't agree with. I don't know if you've noticed that. Uh, yeah, certainly. I, I think uh, now we're seeing more and more role fillers um, in football. I'm not sure if that's if they're dominant. Uh, I think that each team generally has two or three, from my from my personal opinion. But I, I am seeing a, an increase in that type of player that has to has to fulfil a, a particular function in the team or a very specific role in the team. Um, I'm a Spurs fan, so uh, if I look at Tottenham, for example. I look at a player that perhaps has, has uh, in the past received a little bit of uh, criticism, but now he's, he's really grown in terms of his influence, and that would be uh, Musa Sissoko. So um, if we take a player like this, for example, um, he did receive some criticism, and players sometimes look at it in, in simplistic terms and think, oh, sorry, fans look at it in simplistic terms and think, why can't he do this or why can't this player do that? You know, they train all day. Why are they not capable of, of finishing? Or, or why why can't they do this particular pass? But I think now uh, you've seen his influence uh, rise. You've seen how much, uh, how effective he is in the team performing a certain role. And now every fan would probably say uh, he rightly gets in the, uh, in the first 11. Classically speaking, he might not be the easiest on the eye. He might not be able to do everything with the ball that you would like him to be able to do perhaps uh but at the at the couple of things that he's required to do he's absolutely the best you you can't ask certain things of him he's not going to be able to uh uh you know thread the eye of the needle with a, a killer pass with the outside of the foot he's not going to jink past two or three silkily and then do a no look pass that's just not going to happen from him uh but if if you're talking about getting the ball forward and, and driving the ball and drive therefore driving your team forward uh, amongst amongst some of the things that he does, and he's absolutely world class at that. And I think that type of player, he's just one example. I think the rise of athleticism and the tactical uh, structure of the t- of the of the game now has meant there's been more and more type of players like him coming through and uh, and having a massive influence at the top of the game. But then, do you also think, Rich, that perhaps players that don't necessarily fill a certain role, um, you know? Are they as appreciated as much nowadays? You know, if you want to keep it specific to Tottenham, you know, when Spurs signed Jensen Fernandez on loan from Benfica in January, I was, you know, personally very happy with that signing, you know, being a Spurs fan myself. Um, you know, it was met with a lot of disdain from Spurs fans because, you know, they were looking for a, a, a player that filled a certain type of role, specifically, you know, a defensive type midfielder. And, you know, Jensen doesn't really conform to those role, um, to those typical roles. You know, he's He's a very creative dribbler. He can play ahead of the ball and behind it. You know, just in himself, he's a very good footballer, but I felt that he wasn't appreciated for those things because he didn't fill a certain role. Do you think that it is becoming more difficult for players to have an influence in teams and, you know, be as widely respected if they don't perform a certain role and they don't fill a certain role? 
Yeah, so I think that's that's a really good point you make there, Harry. I think it is uh, a bit more difficult for those players perhaps to to be valued or to be recognised for what they're achieving. Um, I, I still think those players exist. I still think those players are there. I certainly don't think uh, that we've got players that are less capable now than they were previously. But I just think it's it's harder for them to find a place on the field um, consistently. So because of the because of the speed of the game, because of the the, the increase of, of sports science and the rise of of athleticism and, and and those kind of things, the game is faster. The players are stronger. We know a lot more about um, physical preparation and, and things like that. So it is becoming more difficult to be a creative talent, to be a difference maker, and just to be recognised as a as a good footballer. You have to be uh, fulfilling really specific roles on the field and and having an effect. At the end of the day, what matters is results. So, you know, if you, if you look at uh, the, the most successful teams in the last couple of seasons, just in England, we could go further afield, but if we just look at England to start with, Liverpool and, and Man City, you know, they've been by far and away uh, the, the best two teams in the league. No one would argue with that. Um, but if we look at the makeup of their teams, um, it, it, it's really uh, players that are consistently, time and time again, fulfilling just specific roles. So if I, yeah, very functional footballers. So Liverpool's midfield, for example, uh, the team itself is it's an excellent team and it functions as a whole, a fantastic football team. Um, and that's down to um, the system and, and what he's got uh, the, the lads uh, able to do and, and they're fighting for the cause and everyone knows their roles and responsibilities amazingly well. He's built a phenomenal team, you know, the, the sum of its parts. Uh, but if we take the individuals out of the midfield, there's not an individual in midfield there that you would say is um, is a you know one of the best midfielders in the world. Not in my opinion, anyway. I don't think Wijnaldum uh, could be regarded or, or will go down, will be remembered um, as a as a fantastic, a great, world class uh, midfield player. He's an excellent footballer. Uh, he fulfills certain roles uh, on the field. He is an absolutely brilliant footballer, but will he be regarded as as a as an all time great? Probably not. Um, I think that's the thing. I think it's where you know. I think he's world class, but at fulfilling those specific roles, you know, it's, it's and as you said, if you're rec- you know, if you're looking at footballers and you know how how they're deemed, you know, typically in terms of what they can do with the football and the you know the magic they produce, you know, he probably won't be recognised as one of those all time greats because, as you said, he's he's you know he's he fulfills a role and he's a very functional footballer. He's very, very good at it. He's got, I believe, world-class attributes at that, same as Jordan Henderson. He's world-class at being a functional midfielder, you know, leadership and organising the team. You know, Wijnaldum is very press-resistant, good at keeping the ball, very disciplined. And But, you know, as you said, being widely regarded and widely remembered as an all-time great, there's probably less and less of those players about nowadays because it's not that they're less needed, but perhaps I would say that, you know, you know, unless you, you know, if you want to be, if you look at Liverpool and and uh, Man City, you look at Pep and, you know, um, sorry, Pep and Klopp, they're very, they're very set in their ways in terms of how they view football. And unless you are a player that conforms to what they want, then you're not needed. So, you know, you could say that arguably Liverpool became a far better side when they sold their creative maverick in Philip Coutinho, but they've replaced him with really functional footballers that do X, Y, and Z, what Klopp wants as and when they need it. And, you know, I think it has led to a big reduction in those players. As you said, you're still going to get those players that, you know, can be creative mavericks and creative geniuses and do things that surprise and shock and be remembered fondly for that. But I do think there's 
with the current cycle of football, there's certainly less of them about and they're certainly less appreciated. Yeah, I also think uh, there's a slight change in um, the style of uh, creative player or creative genius that's, that's able to flourish. So if you think about Pep's teams or, or Klopp's teams, uh, teams that are really successful, um, they have creative players or players you would put in that in that box. You would say Raheem Sterling, you would say um, uh, Riyad Mahrez, you might say, uh, you know, there's, there's a few more in that team as well. Um, certainly Firmino from Liverpool, uh, Mane, you would put in that uh, category. But I think uh, they're all a certain type. They're all an explosive 1v1 um, uh, dominant type of player, with the exception of Firmino. I think there's less and less players who are able to dictate or slow down the pace of the game or be creative in a more um, slower style, in a more measured style. Um, I actually think a lot of what Manchester City do is it's, it's excellent. It gets results. It wins the majority of games. They're better than most teams. They're really well drilled. And what they do, how they perform the roles on the pitch is is unbelievable, uh, which is why they win the vast majority of the games that they play. But I actually don't regard them as particularly creative. I think they no, score the, the same goal a lot of times. So it depends. It depends. It depends how you define uh, creativity. I think mm. when I watch Manchester City, I see um, an excellent team that's almost like a football basketball team. So they have certain yep. they have certain plays. routes, yeah, certain plays, certain routes that they run. There's certain classic Pep uh, Pep goals which he scores, which he's borrowed from futsal and, and different. Um, different areas as well and they're brilliant at it and they, they perform it superbly and, and it's good enough to beat most teams um, but I do think they're, they're lacking that type of player who's um, creative in the sense of, of able to put their foot on the ball because only because football's changed because that's not required they don't need to have that player to still win the vast majority of their games for me I think Mares is, is certainly one of those players and it's interesting to see how Guardiola uses Mares. So he does use him for that when he's needed. Uh, he uses him a lot when um, when big games come around because he needs that uh, extra edge in terms of creativity. He might use him off the bench. He uses him quite cleverly um, in that way. So I think those players still can have an impact, but I think they're being more marginalised into, into more one-on-one dominant players and less creative players who are able to put their foot on the ball. Yeah. I think a lot of it is, you know, down to... You know the control. I think that managers look to have, and you know they they look to you know win games and not have as many outlying factors that can that can you know prevent them from getting results. You know they look to cover as many bases as possible. And I think that you know if you give players freedom, I think there's that key word there: the freedom for players. And I think that you know if you give players freedom to conform outside of their tactical regiment, then you know the manager all of a sudden loses his control or certainly loses a lot of his control. And I think that where it's such a, you know, results and it's such a financial, you know, the financial gains of winning and losing are so vast nowadays and the importance of success and failure are more so, it's more important than ever before. Managers don't want to lose that control. And I think that, you know, if you give that freedom to players, of course they can let you down. Yes, they can be spectacular, but, you know, if the manager has the finances and can get the players that he wants to fulfil certain roles, then, you are going to see less teams, um, you know, less dominant teams that, you know, have plays that can, you know, put their foot on the ball, slow the tempo down, because that's not what the game is about nowadays. And I think, you know, 
the current, like we said earlier, the current cycle of football being very tactically disciplined and very athletic, they both go hand in hand with each other. You know, it's, you know, the game is getting so, it's getting more and more intense. It's getting faster and faster. So, you know, as you said, you can't really be a footballer or you'll struggle to be a footballer, I think, in a successful team that does slow the game down and does put their foot on the ball because they can almost get swarmed up in it and the manager doesn't want to take that risk. And I think it's led to less freedom for players in the big teams. And whether, you know, you view that as a shame or not, whether you appreciate it from the coach's perspective and, you know, the players they do in the circuit football, I guess it's down to opinion. But it, for me, it definitely has led, led to less of that maverick football or that creative genius that doesn't conform to, you know, the tactical structure of the team. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I would also say there's something to be said there. You touched upon it about the finances of the of the teams and of the leagues. So if we look at the at the top leagues, I think um, uh, the need to stay in the league. Uh, if we take a team who's maybe in the bottom half of the table, and you think, okay, you're going to go into most games, and the, the out at the outset of the season, the objective is to stay in the league, just to stay in the league. It, it's 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 nothing else. It's just can we not get relegated, um, which yeah. is fine. So and that you know it was it was always that way it was ever thus. However, uh, when you've got the the teams at the top of the league able to basically stockpile talent, um, they're able to stockpile players. Whereas, uh, in so much as their their B team could still compete in the same division and come you know in the top four qualify for the Champions League. Liverpool's B team uh, knocked Everton out of the cup. Uh, Man City's uh, B team, in my opinion, would easily come uh, top six without without question so then if I'm one of the other teams if I'm outside of that top six and I need to win enough games to stay up then of course it's going to be very difficult for you as a manager to play a creative talent it's going to be really yeah. really difficult you're still going to see them come through so you'll see at, at Palace how heavily they lean on uh, Wilfred Zaha but I think that's that's becoming more and more outside of the ordinary because and you yeah, can hardly blame them because if they need to win X amount of games then it becomes a numbers game. You say, well, I'm, I'm more likely to do that with athletes on the field, with guys who can fulfil certain roles. My, I, I would love to have a creative talent running through midfield or the type of player who can put his foot on the ball and play the passes that no one else sees. But is he going to win me enough games to stay up? And I think that's, that's a byproduct of the top teams being able to stockpile talent um, the difference in in finances between those teams that consistently qualify for the Champions League, meaning those teams below, uh, have to try harder and harder just to just to try and keep up or catch up or not get relegated. And so then, if it is a numbers game, if I was in that position, I wouldn't be playing a creative genius either. I'd want to stay up, and the way to stay up, in my opinion, would be to to load up with with guys that are going to compete and be physical and strong enough to do so um, for thirty eight games. Yeah, you take away as many, you know, factors that could let you down as possible, don't you? Or potentially let you down. You want to have as many guarantees isn't the right words, but you want to leave as little to chance as possible. And, you know, especially if you're a smaller team that, you know, needs to stay in the league, if you have those players that can let you down, then you are leaving it to chance, aren't you? And I also think managers uh, are a little bit um, afraid to gamble on that type of player. If I yeah. get relegated, but I get relegated competing, um, then I, I might keep my job uh, as a manager. If you get relegated and you get relegated with two uh, creative players in, in the middle of your team or, or a number 10 who's seen as a bit of a flair player, um, people might look upon that a little bit differently. And I think the criticism will be more. 
I actually think you, people will accept a team that competes physically and runs hard um, and fulfill all those stats. They will accept that team failing more than they will accept a team that relies on creative talents that just don't fire often enough. Yeah, no, completely right. Um, Pep and Klopp have obviously, you know, they've dominated quite a big section of this so far and probably for good reason because I would say if you look at, you know, the two most recent cycles, well, first of all, if you look at, you know, the players that we were describing earlier, the the Mavericks and the creative geniuses, um, you know, the ones that don't necessarily conform to, you know, typical, you know, tactical structure, etc., or, you know, the, the requirements set from the manager. It was probably, you know, I look at the last the last era I can remember where you had teams that were full of those players, maybe the 2006 World Cup, where if I look at the Brazil team, and it was a team I loved, but, you know, it had Ronaldo, it had Ronaldinho, Kaká, Robinho, you know, those kind of players, those geniuses that we were talking about earlier, the ones that we grew up and the individuals that we grew up to love and um, that we grew up and watched and, and loved. Um, but you could argue, you know, that that Brazil team did fail. And, you know, Pep Guardiola, and if you look at the Spain dominant era, the next international tournament or major international tournament was 2008, which Spain won. And that was when, you know, started to, at least anyway, the the foundations or, you know, the, the dominance of the possession field era became in place. So I would say probably it was, it's been a long while since we've seen teams full of those players. And, you know, you could say that Guardiola and possession-heavy football dominated maybe, you know, from 2008 up until till 2013 and then you could even argue that it was you know Klopp's influence and that style of football that kind of then took over you know if I look at a specific game I remember in 2013 I think it was you know Bayern Munich versus Barcelona and Bayern Munich absolutely battered Barcelona 7-0 over two legs you know and they done it through you know intensity the willingness to run you know and you know the athleticism and they just completely swarmed Barcelona and it's probably been Pep and Klopp have dominated the last two eras and have influenced the last two eras, I would say. Would you still say, would you say that, that would you agree with that? Uh, yeah, broadly, I, I think uh, when you look at cycles of football or eras, I think it's about teams uh, trying to catch up and trying to keep up. So normally one innovates. So you look at, people always um, call it Pep's, um, you know, Pep's style of football or tiki-taka. It obviously existed a bit before that and he was influenced by yeah, others as well. But, and it's know, important to say him. also that, you know, I think it's important to say that Pep has adjusted and adapted to, to oh, modern yeah. day times. But when we when we talk about Pep, we're probably talking about, you know, how people, most people view the typical Pep. Yes. And I think as well, uh, obviously he deserves unbelievable credit, but it's it's also important to say that he was influenced by others as well. It's just an easy and neat way of yeah. of tying it up to say, you know, that ticky-tacky type of football that was... Um, uh, you know, made so successful under under Pep's management of Barcelona and then, and then Bayern Munich afterwards. So then it becomes about teams keeping up. So of course, Barcelona are successful. Everyone remembers when they played uh, Man United off the park in the uh, in the Champions League final, and, and Alex Ferguson called it the carousel that they get you on. Um, he, that's how he referred to it, that passing carousel. We just you can't seem to get off. They've got you know whirlwind of passes. So for a little while after that, everyone's trying to keep up and catch up, and then it changes again. So then you see uh, Klopp's Dortmund start to have uh, a major impact, a major success in um, in Germany, doing it a certain way. So taking what Pep had in terms of that super pressing, that Gagan pressing, that unbelievable uh, desire uh, to win the ball back 
uh, quickly off the opposition and, and pounce immediately, um, that starts to become successful. So then people start to recognize a formula for success. So then everyone jumps on that and that becomes the new thing. And I think that's where we are now in this little back and forth between... Um, uh, I still think possession is prized. I, I do think that 100%. Yeah. Um, perhaps more than it should be, to be honest with you. I think it's also it's a little bit of a um, a false um, a false stat in terms of uh, uh, you know expected success of a team, but um, I, I think that's where we are now is is seeing the um, the next phase of this this super pressing style, which which is really dictated a lot by um, the ability of players in terms of their positional sense. So I think that's um, that that's really key, which doesn't get picked up. Uh, all that often people talk about the press and they talk about the intensity and they talk about the work rate of Liverpool and, and the hard work and the, and the running the hard running but a lot of it is actually you have to be a very intelligent footballer to play that oh yeah um, yeah and a really disciplined type of footballer um, I remember when uh, Fabregas left uh, to go back to Barcelona left Arsenal to go back to Barcelona uh, was it no he was, yeah Arsenal left wasn't it to go back to Barcelona and um and he was saying how he struggled for a little while of uh, t- to get used to their system again because obviously he'd grown up with it being a youngster. Um, but it was just the the positional discipline that he had to to relearn. It's one thing pressing, but it's 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 done. It's like a it's like an orchestra of players moving around the field, and I think that's one thing that gets forgotten. And when you're talking about players being loaded with this information of of exactly where to stand, where to run, how far it impacts, hunting impacts. It's a it's an orchestrated movement of groups of threes and fours. It's difficult then to be able to to do that at top speed and then expect players also to be creative and slow the ball down and slow the game down when they get possession. So it, it, it's difficult to see how how creative players like the Rui Costas and let's say Matt Letizia is a great example. How a player like that or an Eric Cantona would be able to thrive nowadays. It's difficult to see that happening again. And that's what we were talking about earlier about the influence that, you know, coaches have on their teams and how it's they're looking to, you know, you know, have as much control as possible. As you said, you know, the Malatissia, if you if you look at Klopp's pressing machine at Liverpool and, you know, at Dortmund, you know, let's say let's say you swap Firmino for Letitia. If you, as you said, it's an orchestrated movement. If you just take out one piece of that orchestra, it all falls apart. And if you do swap Letizia for Firmino, for example, yes, okay, you might have the individual talent, but so much of Liverpool's game has been based on winning the, the counter-pressing and winning the ball back immediately after they lose it and, you know, hunting in midfield in a, in, you know, in a mid-block, etc. And if you take out a huge component of that, it all falls apart. And, you know, there's no way a manager like Klopp would accept that and allow that. I think that's a really key point as well. So we talk about Firmino. I think he's a, I think he's a fantastic footballer, and I think we're seeing uh, how creative he really is now. You, you, there's some games where you just watch and you just it's an absolute dream to watch some of the passes he, he links together, the link up play between midfield and the forward line. But he's prized for I think he's prized mainly for for two things: is that creative ability to to link um, the attack with the midfield. Um, in an innovative way. So he's full of flicks and tricks. Um, he's full of l- cute little back heels, cute little reverse passes, uh, very easy on the eye. But it's also his ability and his running off the ball, which is, so maybe what we're going to see is a development of a different type of creative player. So I don't I was going to say, yeah. Yeah, I don't think it's, it's possible now to just have, 
well, of course you can just have the one, but your skill set or your uh, what you bring to the team would have to be so exceptional to allow that you don't offer anything or you don't offer enough in terms of tactical discipline or your off the ball uh, off the ball movement. So Firmino, with Firmino, it's his pressing, his ability to press is, is second to none. So and it's because of that, allied to the fact that he's he's very creative in the final third, that he's such a top player and he's able to play at that top level. If he was just prized for his creative ability and his goals, would he still be there? That's a I think that's an interesting question. Yeah, and I think you you hit the nail on the head there. It's you know it's modern day. It's you, of course you can still be creative, but it's it's almost creative in a very structured way, isn't it? It's you know you can be creative in that many ways. You certainly can't be creative outside of my tactical structure, though. You, you, that's not allowed. It's within the requirements of what I want you to do at this certain time, and then and then it's kind of down to you. And that's what people used to say about you know all the players, ex players. You know, I remember Thierry Henry analysing. Um, Pep's Barcelona. So even if you go back to the the previous cycle of football dominated by, you know, possession heavy teams and, you know, typical Pep and Spain and Barcelona. And it was Henri would say that it's very, very structured in terms of build up play. Players have to be in certain areas, certain positions. But when it got to the final third, then it's almost like, well, now it's down to you players because the structure's there. Now it's obviously I need to let you guys express yourself. And obviously it's it's a whole other thing allowing people like Lionel Messi to express themselves. You can certainly get away with that. But um, it's, it's, it's creative in a very structured way, isn't it? Yeah, and I think that's where uh, Mourinho has been criticised recently of being, um, you know, he's, he's very structured. He's seen as very structured. He's seen as a very disciplined manager. And, and my, my players have to play this way. My team has to play this way. But he's also criticised, I'm not sure if it's fair, the criticism in the fact of, uh, or some people view it that in the final third, the players are left to their own devices to be creative. So, um, but that, you know, whether that's right or wrong, I'm not sure. But I, I definitely think there's something where um, the, the level of creativity is, is marginalised and pushed into smaller and smaller areas. So Raheem Sterling's a very creative player, 1v1. He's allowed to be creative 1v1, try any trick you want in, in this particular area of the field. Um, but actually the majority of his work is is uh, really simple stuff, really structured play, tactically really disciplined. He's playing his part in the orchestra that's rolling on, in the machine that, that keeps rolling forward. And then there might be a few occasions uh, per match where he's he's has license or he's able to to show his creative side. Yeah. And then going back to what you said about Mourinho, it's... It is, it's sort of going back to what we said about the current cycle and being very tactically regimented and athletic. And it's almost seen that you are outdated as a coach if you aren't a manager because there's so much out there, you know, analysis pieces and analysis blogs and there's so much access to it and so many people can add their opinion. It does seem to me that a lot of people view you as outdated unless you are a manager like Klopp and Pep that has set patterns and set circuits, you know, circuit training and you know, orchestrated movements of play. It's, it's almost like you're seeing them as outdated, which I personally disagree with because, yeah. you know, of course, anybody out there that thinks that Mourinho is just telling his attacking players to go out there and, you know, just <laughs> do what you want, I think greatly misunderstands who Mourinho is and what it takes to be successful. But because perhaps it isn't set plays that are widely recognised in the same way as, you know, Man City and, you know, maybe Mauricio Sarri under Chelsea and sorry, Chelsea under Mauricio Sarri, etc. 
then you're viewed as outdated because you're not seen as this philosophical manager, which I personally don't agree with. But, you know, I don't know what, you know, I, I, I think you're of a similar opinion. Yeah, I think it's a bit of a shame. I I, I think uh, it, it, the, the more variety, the better. So I don't think there's one, uh, th- there shouldn't be, there seems to be. You hear a lot of media, you hear a lot of fan groups are, uh, they play football the right way. We hear this one all the time. I don't know what the right way is. I thought the right way was to score more goals than the other team. So, you know, or in a way that that, that suits the players that you have and that the players are happy to play and that the players are able to play. Um, So I think that gets forgotten a lot and it gets, it does get prized. Um, That possession gets prized or winning the ball back quickly gets prized or uh, the running stats get prized uh, quite heavily. You know, we hear, there's now... um, an overload of stats so even the, the average fan uh, down the pub his uh, way of talking about the game has changed a lot but I do think one thing that uh, you mentioned there is is changing is um, managers are perhaps being criticised for being uh, this way or not that way and um, I, I would like to see more variety I, I, I personally love it when you see um, different styles clashing against each other so I hope that there's, there's not going to be too much of a um, an influence of the, of the current style where all of the teams um, start to play the same way. I think if we just look at the last season, what I found frustrating was the new the new rule with uh, goal kicks. So, uh, you know, there's many teams out there, they're not able to play out from the back and that's fine. You don't have to be Man City. You don't have to play this style of football. But we've seen lots of teams forcing themselves uh Time and time again, Arsenal would do it. Uh, you know, we would do it. Tottenham would do it. Lots of teams would do it. It's like you're not capable of playing that type of football out from the back. Just because you can doesn't mean you have to. Just because the team that's the top of the league is doing it and is successful doing it, it doesn't mean that's better. It doesn't mean that's right or that's a good way to play football. It just means those players are able to do that and that's where they're successful. I think it would be nice to see more innovation and, and more outside of the box thinking rather than just oh they're top of the league and that's what they do so I guess we but we should do the same yeah great chat so far we'll leave it there for a minute we're going to be right back after this break welcome back to the coaches view podcast where we are discussing cycles in football and the current cycle which is predominantly based on being tactically disciplined and athletic We've obviously discussed earlier quite a bit about the types of players that, you know, are perhaps appreciated in this current cycle and aren't as appreciated. And of course, that the cycle of football does have a huge influence on how players are being produced from a younger age group and, you know, the academy um, level of football and the influence it does have on academy systems. And, you know, I think it's becoming clearer and more obvious that, you know, how much an influence this current cycle of football in terms of, for me anyway, the biggest influence or one of the biggest influences, how structured in terms of how teams play, it's becoming at academy level. And young teams, you know, if you look at whenever we play against our independent academy, we play against professional academies, they all play the same way. And for me, it takes away the ability for players to think for themselves. We touched on it last week in um, our first, obviously in our first podcast with Sam Cox. And I think it it does take away the you know ability for players to think for themselves and make decisions because they know what to do and when to do it every time they receive the ball. It's set plays, it's set patterns, and 
you know, again, it's leading to more and more of the role-filling player. And uh, I guess I want your view on that, Richard. Yeah, I think it is. Um, I think there are coaches out there and there's, there's academies out there, there's teams out there that, that prize the creative players. But I think you are then talking about uh, a particular coach who sees something in a player and wants to nurture it. That's still happening because we're still seeing um, great players coming through. So, but it's you know. but is it but is that once in a blue moon is what I'm saying. Now, of course, we'll always get that page. You know, if you are an academy and you do get a a maverick talent that can do special things, you know, it would be absurd to not harness that. But I, my, my point is that they're becoming more of a rarity, and you know because the system and the environment doesn't allow them to be, you know, performing outside of the the typical structure. Yeah, I think maybe it will become uh, a little bit more rarer for them to come through. But then I, I think that the coach's argument to that would be: if, if you're good enough, you'll play. Um, if you you know if, if you fulfil certain roles on the pitch, then you'll play. If you have enough of an effect on the game, then you'll play. So that that'll be the comeback from there. And I do think those creative players are still are still there. We're certainly still creating creative young players. Um, there's a lot of creative young players out there. It's whether they then kick on and are able to influence uh, the professional game, whether they're able to make that step. Into and the that's my issue. Yeah, that, I think that's becoming more difficult because I think players, I think generally with, with coaching, uh, we touched on it last week with Sam talking about the, the danger of overcoaching or, or what that means or maybe over overstructuring um, uh, certain games from a certain age. Uh, and also, you know, players uh, at academies and, and coaches at academies, especially the top academies, they are under pressure to win. They are under pressure for results. They will play their best teams when when they're up against a local rival, when they're up against a, a team they should really beat or, or they need to win. Um, so I know there's a development side where they want to develop players and every, everybody starts out and you want to develop uh, the next Ronaldinho and you want to see the best young talents come through creative dribblers and, and players able to do different things mavericks geniuses who've got that creativity and that that spark of ingenuity that comes from young players being passionate and enthusiastic about the game but i think at some point uh it does become structured younger i think they are they are doing structured things from a younger age and i think then there's the danger that they become uh indoctrinated into that into that style of football and then it, it drips down from the top the, the top level so what we're seeing on a saturday now we're seeing the predominance of, of pressing and counter pressing and how you have to be fit how you have to uh you know a certain size and shape to play the game uh more and more and then that's having a knock-on effect on the on the um on the youth academies as well but i would say there's there's still um i think there's still room for the top talents to come through. It's just about finding that coach in that environment uh, that values that and, and shows that love um, and, and is able to nurture or wants to nurture that that talent. Yeah. And, you know, of course, if they are, those talents are still out there. We work with quite a few of them ourselves. But I think, you know, I think it is becoming harder for those talents to, to go on and become successful in a first-team environment because of, well, quite a few factors. And, you know, it, it does require a coach to believe in you you know, and to, to see the, the value in you and the potential you've got and what you can do for a team. But, you know, if there's one thing that, you know, that kind of creative player can do is that, you know, if you are of that mindset and that mentality, then, you know, you're probably a character in other ways as well, you know, and, you know, those players can let you down in certain things. You know, they can be, you know, they can cause even disruption at, you know, an extreme level. But, you know, it's you no know, is, is that player going to press the same way and you know therefore will the manager accept them and 
where it is, you know, results are so important nowadays, you know, is a manager going to pick a player that can let them down and, you know, and, and not do what, you know, the the other players can do in terms of fulfilling their roles and stuff. And I think it does make it very hard for for certain geniuses and for certain players of that ilk to come through and be successful. And as you said, of course, those players are still out there, but I think it is becoming harder and harder for those players to have an influence, especially in first-team football, where it's so results-driven and, you know, you've got to do X, Y and Z. If you don't do X, Y and Z, then you let the team down. And, you know, those players can be made a scapegoat of. And as you said earlier, you know, the the teams that are very hard-working and disciplined, it's almost like it's okay to go down that way, but it's or to be relegated that way or to fail that way because, you know, you've all got the right mindset and the right mentality of hard work. But if you fail because, you know, a, a genius has let you down for, for not doing what the manager wants necessarily, then it's almost looked at, you know, in a, in a worse, in a worse sense, if that makes sense. Um, so I do think it's harder. I think it's easier to criticize creative talents. I think they, it's they're, they're always the one who, who gets jumped upon. If we think of, uh, think of Mesut Ozil at Arsenal, you know, yeah. fantastic player, absolute world-class talent, unbelievable talent. Um, his numbers in terms of assists. So it's not just a, a guy who's easy on the eyes, a guy who's produced. He's actually produced. Um, but, it, you know, okay, he's had his ups and downs. He hasn't played, he hasn't performed as well as they would have liked uh, over the last uh, couple of seasons, you would argue. But uh, I think traditionally those those players are the first to be um, uh, picked on. They're the first to be singled out for criticism rather than the hardworking type of player. I think for me... my. My theory on this, just thinking about midfield players, think about creative talents through the middle of the park, through the midfield. I think a problem started, and it's not a problem, it's uh, it's just a slight change, is when a player like Steven Gerrard came through and was phenomenally successful. Um, but the thing is with Gerrard, he's almost... Uh, He's almost like a freak because he's he's good at everything. So he's got the engine where he can get up and down. Um, he could pass. He could run with the ball. He could drive. He could score goals. He could create goals. He could go past the player. Pretty much nothing he couldn't do on the field. It wasn't, okay, he couldn't put his foot on the ball and uh, and maybe do uh, the step overs that some of the, the classic number 10s could do. Rui Costa, Ronaldinho, this type of thing. But he could perform almost every function, almost every role in the middle of the park. And then I think uh, if you're asking players to sort of emulate that type of thing, it's unrealistic. But I think that type of, that his success or a success of that kind of midfielder led then on to players uh, where we saw uh, the rise of the athletic uh, centre midfielder who's able to take the ball forward 60 yards really, really quickly to get your, to get your team up the pitch. Um, I think Yaya Torre is a, a brilliant example of that. And how he uh, he led the way in uh, in world football in that regard. So with with players like that to look up to, um, I think then it's really really difficult for uh, to see those young players uh, breaking through. I think they will become they'll still get through, but I think they'll become uh, purely marginalised into one v one dominant uh, creative players. I don't think we're going to see that many creative players coming through the middle of the park, coming through the middle in the classic uh, the classic. Uh, attacking midfielder sense I don't think that's going to exist um, if we keep on uh, with this current cycle with this current trend yeah no I agree completely and I guess that that raises the our final point on the on the matter in terms of what's next in terms of the next cycle of football and 
as you said, I just I can't see how it's going to change. I mean, you could argue that where teams are becoming so tactically orientated and regimented nowadays that, you know, they cancel each other out in a sense. And then you require the player that can do something outside the box you can't plan for, that they're then required. But as you said, it's, you know, you can, you can, a manager will look at games that they can almost guarantee themselves to win if they do certain things. And they're not going to put it down to chance. They're not going to put it down to a player that can, that can let you down and not conform to, to what the manager requires. And the game's only going to get more intense. It's only going to get faster and faster. So I just can't see how those players, I mean, you, you said it there. The, if you look at the midfielders that can put their foot on the ball and slow the game down. And of course, those players are still out there. But, you know, the ones that aren't necessarily as athletic or aren't necessarily as intense off the ball, I can't see them coming back into the play anytime soon because it's not what the game requires at the moment. That's not what it needs. To, that's not what it requires to be successful. It requires, you know players to be able to play with intensity and and structure and you know take on jobs and roles and I just can't see I can't personally can't see how it's going to change I I, I think that you know the the Requelmades of the world and the Rui Costas etc I think and the Letizia's they're becoming I'm not saying they're a thing of the past I do think you'll always get those every now and again that player but I don't think it's going to be with anywhere near the same regularity I can't see football changing very much from this current cycle of intensity and tactical discipline. Um, I mean, can you see it changing any time in the future? Uh, any point soon? No, maybe one Maybe one way that I could see it, uh, maybe not changing, but uh, maybe tweaking slightly would be in, in the use of creative players, as in uh, maybe specialists. So if we look at, uh, you know, football and football coaches, they're not afraid, especially at the top level, to uh, borrow ideas or, or take ideas from other sports. So NBA and uh, American football, that type of thing. And I think if we look at those, if we look at those sports, uh, you, you, you can have specialist players that are used. So we're talking, you know, a lot in this podcast about roles and about role fillers. And I think what you might end up is, is having these creative talents, having these creative geniuses, but used almost in the way of like a special teams unit you would have in the um, in the NFL or yeah. a specialist three-point shooter that you would have in the NBA. So you might have a creative winger or a, a fantastic 10 uh, who could put his foot on the ball and, and do, the, do the different passes and, and the different things. And you might use him sparingly. You might be half an hour. So you might, because, because of the rise of uh, the athleticism and, and teams able to cancel each other out because of the, the tactical... Um, discipline of, of both teams and and the stockpiling of the top players at the top teams. I think there will be um, occasions where teams cancel each other out and they're still going to have to make the difference. So maybe, possibly, that's a way that we're going to see those creative players come back in being used in an innovative way as a almost like a special, a complete specialist, pretty much unused mm. against teams which you don't need them for. You know, you're going to wallop those top teams. They, they know they're going to win against the majority of the teams in the league nine times out of ten but do they have this player there um, in their squad that they're able to use sparingly uh, when the time requires to make to make a, a difference in the big games maybe that's one way that it'll be used but it is hard to see how it how it'll change with the intensity going up with the speed of players going up with the athleticism of players going up um, it is difficult I hope so I hope you do see those you know that there's there's going to be a turnaround at least and we do see more of those players coming back. I personally can't see it. I think that 
what we'll then see is actually that, you know, almost like a superhuman of a player, I can see happening, you know, the ones that play for the very top level clubs are well, could do extremely both. athletic, extremely disciplined, but also have that, you know, that vision and can be extremely creative in in a very specific way, you know, and like De Bruyne, um, those kind of plays that... Well, I was going to say, uh, Ronaldo would have been a great example of that um, uh, phenomenon, Brazilian Ronaldo. I think uh, he was, uh, at the time, definitely a one-off. There's there's a chance Mbappe uh, develops into into that type of player who's able to to sit in both camps, be a creative talent, able to go past two or three, uh, you know, using silky skills, easy on the eye, and also be a complete you know, super athlete at the same time. Um, maybe that's the next development. Hopefully, hopefully. I, I think it would be a great shame to not have these players a part of our game. But then again, I guess it's how you see football, you know, in the era you grew up in. And, you know, it's certainly, I'm not I'm not a negative towards this current trend and cycle of football. I, I'm not negative. I don't have negative viewpoints towards it at all. I just think that it would be a shame that, you know, if those players that we, the individuals that we grew up to love and watch that can, you know, do things outside the box. And I'm not saying those players aren't around, but I think it would be a great shame that, you know, if those players, if there wasn't a place in the game for those players. Yeah, I think it would be a shame if there's if there's uh, less variety. I think variety is what makes football interesting. I think that's what makes it exciting uh, that you see different styles coming up against each other. So I think it would be a shame if those if those slower paced players, those those um, mavericks uh, are marginalised out of the game. Personally, I'd like to see more teams adopt that type of player, but then that's risk-taking. That's, that, that's asking teams to take incredible risks when everyone else is going down a certain route. But hopefully that'll um, they'll find a way back in somehow. I guess only time will tell. Time will tell. Right, that wraps up that main discussion point. I think it's time for a Q&A. So we didn't do this last week. But our producer, James, insisted that we um, start getting you guys, the listeners, involved a bit more in, well, getting involved into our production. So I put out there, you know, certain questions on Twitter that people, you know, would be interested in us answering. And I've picked three out. So the first question here is the best ever game that we've been to. And that was asked by at Orlandinho. So that was asked by Orlando. What's the best game you've ever been to, Richards? Oh wow! Uh, okay, <laughs> well, in terms of uh, in terms of atmosphere, one hundred percent Cardiff City against Leeds United FA Cup um, at the Old Ninian Park. I was wondering game. how long, how long, and how many episodes <laughs> in our podcast would be before we found out that you were Welsh. Not that it wasn't obvious already with your accent, but I was waiting to see when you were going to put that in there. But go on then, Cardiff City. <laughs> oh yeah, unbelievable day. Uh, so Cardiff knocked out uh, Legion, the mighty Leeds United at the time of the Premier League. I think they were actually top of the Premier League at the time as well. Knocked them out of the FA Cup um, at the Ninian Park. I was there in the Bob Bank. Uh, going crazy like all the other locals. Uh, unbelievable day. Uh, if I remember correctly, uh, if I remember correctly, Scott Young scored the winner. Uh, from a header and it was just pandemonium um, unbelievable classic cup upset uh, the, the millions and the, the, the brilliant <laughs> players from Leeds United humbled by little old uh, Cardiff City was a day I'll never forget for sure not bad not bad uh, I was thinking about this and there's two I can't split between I mean I could go for the obvious one and say the El Clasico Barcelona versus Real Madrid purely because of obviously I mean we all see how good they are on TV, but when you're live and you see them all against each other in person, it's just, it's almost like another game. It is quite ridiculous, but I'm going to be a bit different and I'm actually going to go for a game where my team got 
absolutely battered. And it was a few years ago where Tottenham Hotspur drew Borussia Dortmund in the Europa League. And I was always, I mean, if you're a football fan out there, it's got to be a a life goal to go to Borussia Dortmund's uh, stadium and watch a game there. It is quite special. And Spurs got battered 3-0 in that game, but I did not care one bit because the performance that the Borussia Dortmund players put on and the show they put on, it was Thomas Tuchel was the manager at the time. Um, it was just extraordinary. And the level of, you know, the level of football they played, the dominance they had, the way they moved the ball, the way they pressed off of it, and just the general quality of the performance. I remember, you know, people like Mats Hummels and Julian Weigel and Marco Royce just running the show. And it was an absolute joy to watch. And one thing that will always stay for me, and I think that, you know, it just shows the class of the club. I remember that after the game, all the Spurs fans actually stayed to applaud the Dortmund players. Obviously, you know, getting battered 3-0, um, the Tottenham players sort of trudged off quite quickly. They did say thank you to the fans, but they trudged off quite quickly. But, um, you know, they, um, but all the Dortmund players, they realised that, you know, all the Spurs fans were clapping them and they came over towards our section and uh, clapped us as well. And I just thought that just showed everything about the club that night, you know, the, the passion of the fans, the atmosphere, the quality of the team and, you know, the class of the players. I just thought it was exceptional. So, bit of an outside one there, Fantastic. you know, how, I don't really know how I can have my best ever game being my team getting absolutely battered, but I absolutely loved it. I thought it was brilliant. So, so that's my answer. Um, question number two is from at Forza Yids, and it is biggest pet hate about academy football in England. So obviously this is something that me and you is very close to um, close to home for me and you. So what's wow. your biggest pet hate for academy football in England? And try not to offend anyone that we work <laughs> with here. <laughs> uh, uh, it's a difficult one. I think uh, I think they're under a lot of pressure, the clubs and the coaches. Yeah. But I think. Um, Maybe it's not a pet hate, but I think there could be more to be done to um, encourage and, and harness uh, creativity. So to create yeah. an environment that, that values creativity a little bit more. I can think of an example straight away. I was at a um, a very big uh, uh, tournament with, with Premier League teams and, and teams from different countries. Go on, um, say the team you're with. Go on, I know you want no, to. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I was there as a guest of a, of a team and... Um, watching a lot of games at a high level it was a really good uh, really good tournament and I noticed one of the one of the things that always sticks with me I, I saw a, a fantastic young talent he's a really great player playing at one of the top uh, Premier League clubs and um, the coaches on the side were calling his name uh, wanting him to in sort of encouraging him you know egging him on you know go on go at him go at him go at him that type of thing uh, so which is what he was doing anyway he's a creative player that's what he was about so as in, you know, he was being screamed at from the side, yeah, beat him, beat him, beat him. So he duly tried a trick, uh, a bit of an elaborate trick. It failed, it went wrong, the other team got a goal kick and he was immediately chided. And I think, well, you know, you've encouraged him to be creative. You've asked him to be creative to help the team. He's then tried something creative. It's not gone right. It's gone wrong, which can happen. And then immediately... You've thrown your arms up and, uh, you know, in sort of dismay. Uh, oh, what do you, oh, I can't believe it. Why has that happened? And I just think, well, if ever there was a way uh, to slowly but surely you know, knock the creativity out of someone, yeah. that's it. So that would be it for me. I would like to see, I would like to see um, the clubs harness that creativity a little bit more or just be, just be mindful of the environment and just, 
to let players express themselves a little bit more for a little bit longer. I completely agree. And that is my biggest pet hate as well. And I think it's very in tune with what we've been discussing throughout the show so far, isn't it? It's about harnessing those players that can, that can, okay, let you down, but they can do something very special and win you a game. And, you know, I, I would agree with that. But to say something different from you, I'd probably say that one thing I've noticed is that, you know, it's maybe the lack of passion and the lack of intensity from the sidelines from certain ages anyway. That is something that I... It's not a pet hate. I suppose we've all got their style and you have got to behave a certain way. But one thing I do notice is that it's such a stark contrast in terms of, let's say, the jump between under-16 football and how you are coached from the sidelines up into the under-18s and under-23s football. And the contrast in how you are coached from the sidelines is huge, you know. I think that, you know, under-16s and under, it's very, very laid back, very much let the players get on with it, very, you know, very mellow the way you speak to them. And then all of a sudden, <clears throat> you go to under-18s and under-23s and then obviously first team, and it's it's a, almost like a whole other game, the way that the coaches speak to you. And I just think that, yes, you've got to behave in a certain way, but there's nothing wrong with having a bit of passion on the sidelines and, you know, demanding a bit of intensity and, and making sure that standards are, are constantly kept at because it's going to be a hu- it is a huge culture shock. And our players tell us all the time, you know, that how much of a culture shock it is for them when... You know, the jump when they under under 16s and everything's very nice and very nice mad. And then they go to under 18s and under 23s. And all of a sudden, it's it's a whole different way they're spoken to. And it, and it does take players by surprise quite a bit. And of course, you have got to be a certain way, behave a certain way. I'm not saying that an under 23s coach can speak the same way to his players uh, and then an under 9s coach can speak the same way. But I do think that there is... There is nothing wrong with having a bit of intensity and a bit of passion and a bit of, you know, being demanding on the sidelines. Um, I don't know what your thoughts on that are. Yeah, I agree. I think it's it's difficult to judge, isn't it? Where do you draw the line? At some point or another, they have to turn, they have to transition from becoming youth footballers into, you know, trying to make their way in, in the men's game. And it is very different because the demands are different and all of a sudden it matters. It really matters that you win or lose. Um, yeah. You know, especially if you think about uh, if you were to go into, let's say, a lower league, uh, a change room, we work with some players at that level. Um, you know, the, the, the change rooms, it's an intense place and you're going to be, people are going to let you know if you're doing the right things or if you're letting the team down, you're going to find out quickly about that. So players do need to grow up, but it's about where you draw that line and where of course, where, yeah. they're, where they're treated a bit more um like adults, but I think that's a difficult one. What, I mean, like you say, you can't have the under twenty threes coach speaking to the same players or in the same way as the under nines or the under twelves no, coach. Of course, then, no. yeah, are we Molly, Molly coddling them for too for too long? I'm not sure. I think that's a I think that's a wider problem in society anyway. Yeah, but I think that's what you're saying actually. That you know, where do you draw the line? But it can be drawn the line the other way around in the sense that you know you've drawn the line and it's gone too far that way. No, it is Molly Cuddle too much. And I think that that is something that I've personally noticed, you know, with all the, you know, the setups we go to, et cetera, that perhaps there is just a bit too much of everything's very nice, very nice mannered. It's okay. It's okay. Well, actually, standards do need to be met. You know, it's a it's an incredibly difficult environment that you're pushing players into, you know, in terms of professional football. And I just think that, you know, across the board, it is probably just too much of the same intent in the terms of, you know, very laid back on the sidelines, very much reserved. and. That's just for me. I think that, you know, as you said, every situation is different and there is no right or wrong way to do it. Um, it's, it's completely um, based on the situation. Our third and final question of the week is from 
at Zander0894. And that is, of course, Zander Wilkinson, who is part of the Scouted Hub, an organization that me and you are developing a more of a strong relationship with. They are fantastic. And Zander's question is, what is the hardest part of coaching younger players? Have you noticed any common areas you find you have to work on them with or work on with them? Sorry. That's such a difficult one. So, okay. Uh, one thing that I've noticed, especially with younger players, and this might be, this might be, um, I was speaking about this with, a, with uh, a colleague the other day is, is I think players are coming to us now um, less, uh, less physically able um, to perform certain um, athletic functions than they than they would normally have been able to when I was growing up, for example. So I don't know whether that's to do with I'm talking about leaping, bounding, hopping, skipping, uh, running, jumping, tumbling, falling. I, I think uh, not diving. <laughs> They're all pretty good at that. No, um, I, I think that's one area that um, uh, young players that are coming through now aren't. Um, aren't as up on as they were as they were previously whether that's because uh lifestyles have changed a lot in the last 20 or 30 years from when i was growing up playing football and and coaching uh i think we used to go outside to play more often i think players and and just young people sorry children would be out on their bikes and climbing and making dens that's still happening of course but i do think maybe i've just maybe it's just something i've just noticed that um players are coming through less able to to perform physical tasks they've got less coordination and balance than they should i think they're really i think young players now are fantastic with the ball when we're seeing these guys really really good footballers uh with the ball everyone's got tricks everyone's got um a skill and i think that's thanks to the rise of youtube and and uh, how we consume football and how easy it is to access uh you know highlights and skill reels and stuff like that so they're able to emulate their their favorite players much more easily um but i do think one one area they're not as capable when they first come to us is uh in maybe coordination balance leaping bounding things like that no i agree completely doesn't really do them any favors when we're talking about the current cycle of football being very (laughs) athletic does it (laughs) but no that is something that i definitely agree with um I would probably say my one is going to be, I think it's just the lack of understanding it, just how difficult it is to break into a professional environment and how how tough it is and how mentally tough you have to be. You know, you can't ever take time off in the sense of mentally, you can't check out, you can't decide, well, you know, I'm going to take it easy in today's session. Um, and I think that is a struggle that, you know, where, you know, we are, you know, we do have an independent academy or you have an independent academy, which I work for. You know, you do get a lot of players that come to us and they have the dream of becoming that the professional footballer. But, you know, do they have the mentality? And quite often you see that it's not the case because, you know, they'll sometimes, a lot of them will come to us and they'll have two or three bad sessions in a row. It's just in terms of application. And it sounds really basic and really old fashioned, but, you know, and I used to personally hate it when I was growing up. I used to, you know, you'd always hear footballer interviews and it was, you know, they'd get asked the question, what advice would you give to players nowadays? And they always said the same thing, work hard, never give up, always believe. And I always used to think, well, you know, give me more. Is there not, is there not something else to it? You know, can you not tell me something else? And when you, you know, when I've been working with these players for a while now, actually, no, that is it. It is your mentality. It's how you approach training sessions. It's how you approach games. It's how you approach your general life. And I think there's a lot of, there's a massive, massive misunderstanding nowadays for players and they just really don't get 
how hard you have to work and how you are not allowed time off. Um, you certainly can't take, you know, two or three sessions in a row where you're just not at the races. Of course, you can have bad training sessions in terms of performance levels, but it can't be through application. And I think there's a big, big misunderstanding nowadays from players on the outside looking to break into the system, not quite understanding how intense and how dedicated you have to be. Yeah. Do you think that's a problem with, uh, that's a good point. Do you, do you think that's maybe a problem with uh, young players, even academy players at, at big clubs, perhaps seeing themselves um, as part of, you know, they, they can maybe see the light at the end of the tunnel before they've actually reached it. 100%. I think so. And, you know, we, we've spoken about this before. There's a big thing nowadays in terms of wider society, in like instant success. So, yeah. you know, like, you know, Instagram, how many likes do you get? And it's all irrelevant, you know. And, you know, I see a lot of videos nowadays of players putting up their highlight reel. And the first thing I might see is like a left back doing a doing a roulette in his own box. And yeah. I'm like, yeah. you know, OK, yes, fine. Well done. But it, it is very much in terms of players are thinking they've made it and thinking this is amazing stuff before they've actually achieved anything. And that is a big worry. And it's a massive culture shock. So, yeah, I suppose it's, it isn't just the players outside of the academy set up. It's also players in the academy set up. But obviously, you know, it is an issue yeah. and um, that is I think is it's, certainly... it's difficult, isn't it, to be able to apply yourself consistently, especially at a young age. I think young players it's are going to be... It's incredibly difficult. Young players are going to be, um, especially young players, we mostly work with young players anyway, but yeah. young players are going to be inconsistent by their nature. But so then yeah, it, it is a difficult one. But yeah, I, w- I would say that's that, that's certainly a hard area to, to coach is um, to give them the real understanding of what it takes mentally. Uh, to, to push on uh, even what it takes to apply yourself consistently at a high level um, that's hard enough in itself to go you know t- 12 weeks three months back to back don't miss a session apply yourself properly in every single session prepare for every session it, yeah. that's, that's a lot harder than it sounds <laughs> you know to, to consistently try and achieve that level completely right no exactly and that is the end of this week's Q&A Rich I have some very exciting news for those that are listening. Okay, okay. Are you ready for this? You're sitting down. I'm sitting down, mate. I'm, I'm, I'm on my edge of my seat now. We have a brand new audio to introduce Coach's Battle. <laughs> wow. Okay, sounds good. Not quite as excited as I was, but there we go. Never mind. No, <laughs> <laughs> no. Believe, believe me, mate. I'm on tenter hooks. <laughs> <laughs> it is time for Coach's Battle. Coach's Battle. How about that? Did you like that, Rich? Love it, mate. Love it. I was really happy with it. I'm really happy with it. We have got to give him a shout out. I do have to say that the person that done our music at the beginning of the show and has done the audio for Coach's Battle and I'm giving it away too soon, but he's also done an audio for Best Of, which we're incredibly excited about. Um, it is Luke Carey. He's a very good friend of mine and he's a very talented musician, songwriter, singer. So make sure you check him out. So that's that shout out done. But now it is on to the Coach's Battle. And I had a few, well, I'm not going to say complaints, but yes, I had a few complaints from yourself mostly in terms of last week's coaches battle. I think that oh, yeah, I was a robbed. lot of people thought, well, I thought a lot of people thought it was quite harsh that actually, you know, I made you go first and took you by surprise, they said. So, That's true. Yeah. So I'm going to go first today. And then also there was a few question marks over the time. And to be fair, they were completely right. I think 60 seconds was far too long. So we have changed it. We're going to be chopping it down to 30 seconds. And what will happen is you will 
keep count of my time, Rich, and I'll have to keep count of your time. So there's no question of cheating. Okay. So <clears throat> today's coach's battle is going to be based on what we've been talking about. And we have two five-a-side teams. We have a five-a-side Maverick team and a five-a-side, well, athlete team, to, for want of a better way of saying it. Now, I think it's important to caveat this with, of course, there are players in both teams that can be you know, regarded as a Maverick and, of course, regarded as an athlete as well. But we thought we'd put them into the best categories for each team. So here is the lineup for the Maverick team. We've had to pick five. Of course, there are a load of names we've missed out. So in the comment sections, don't start putting, you know, oh, well, where's this player, that player? Yes, we've missed players out. But here it is. It is Raquelme, Rui Costa, Ndombele, Letizia, and Schillevert. So that is the Maverick team. For those who don't know, Schillevert was a very extravagant goalkeeper. And the team of the five athletes is Yaya Torre, Didier Drogba, Gareth Bale, Virgil van Dijk and Oblak in goal. I have no idea why I put the goalkeeper last there, but there we go. So I have the team of Mavericks and the athletes in a bowl here. I'm going to pull your team out first, Richard. So you are going to have to describe or explain why the Maverick team will win. So you have 30 seconds to describe why the Maverick team will win. Easy. Which means I have the athletes. So I've got 30 seconds to say why my team will beat your team have you got the timer ready for me timer is ready so there's no arguments right so you're gonna have to give me the countdown richard and then call it there at 30 seconds okay mate your 30 seconds on why the athletes beat the mavericks starts now right well the reason why the current cycle of football is about intensity is because that is the aim of the game nowadays um you know it's all well and good having the creative plays, but if they can't run off the ball, they're just going to be swarmed. So, you know, it's all well and good being really creative and taking time on it. But, you know, my team of incredible athletes are just going to completely overpower those uh, talented Mavericks. And, you know, they won't be able to keep up with the intensity. They won't be able to keep up with the speed and the power and the pace. And, of course, there's still creativity in my team. So mine is just a more well-rounded team. So it. You're you done, know. mate. Oh, I think we cut it down too much. I was on a I gave you 31. That was 31. 31 seconds. All right. Well, I'm not going to have any... When I win this, I'm not going to hear any complaints about that. You gave me the time, so that's that. I'll complain anyway, mate. All right. <laughs> and because we don't have a guest this week, it is going to be put out to Twitter um, who wins this one. So that was my 30 seconds of coach's battle. Are you ready for yours? Easy, mate. This is in the bag. Right. So let me get the timer. So you have 30 seconds starting in three two, one, go. Right, the reason my uh, team of Mavericks will win this game hands down is because the team of athletes quite simply won't touch the football. Uh, we've got Raquel May in there for a start. Uh, unbelievable. Well, I shouldn't have to say anything more than that, to be honest. He's going to stroll around midfield and look bloody good doing it. Him and Rui Costa, I- I'm sorry, but if you get a foot on the ball, well done to you. We don't need to win a header. We don't intend Dirty. on winning a header. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, mate. Cut you off there. Oh. You're getting all starry-eyed talking about Raquelme, mate. Was it bringing back memories? Yeah. <laughs> right. So, as I said, because we don't have a guest this week, we are going to put the winner out to um, Twitter. So, comment in the section um, or comment underneath the tweet um, who you thought won today's coaches' battle. Is it myself, of course, or was it Richard? Right. It is now time for Best Of, and it is time to introduce our other new audio. You ready, Rich? I'm excited, mate. Good. 
you sounded more enthused for that one. So it is time for best of. And the best of the week is... Look at that. How good was that? <laughs> good work, mate. He's talented, isn't he? He's very good, mate. He's very good. What else can he do? <laughs> uh, he's, you know, he fancies himself as a footballer, but I'm not too sure. He actually asked me to take him training. He reckoned that we could do a project going where can I turn him into a semi-pro footballer within a year of training? Oh, crikey. Okay. I, think, I think that'd be a decent documentary. I think, um, you know, if you're listening, BBC, do you want to pick that up? <laughs> I think it'll be quite good. I don't think I'll, I don't think it'll work. He has a lot of work to do, mate. God loves a trier, mate. You have to keep trying. <laughs> no, but this week's best of. So the best of section is basically something that me and you have liked this week. And the theme is stay home challenges. I think that's very apt, obviously, with the current scenario. Yeah. So, Richard, do you want to give me your best of stay home challenges this week? Yeah. So uh, we've actually been developing a, um, a stay at home uh, series. So home training uh, program for our academy players. Uh, so we've been putting that out there. We've been putting all sorts of drills and practices out there that they can follow on Instagram. Uh, so a lot of our players have been um, attempting their own skills and their own challenges and their own routines. And uh, some of the stuff that's come back has been really cool, actually. So uh, one of the guys did a very creative uh, montage of him in the back garden doing all sorts of flicks and tricks, everything ending up with a ball going into the uh, into the basketball hoop in the garden. And it's just been a really good way of uh, of staying connected with the guys, with the players that we work with, and them to feel uh, feel connected with what we do and uh, to carry on training and carry on uh, improving their skills in this uh, in this downtime. So that's that's my uh, that's my best of of the week is the young players uh, showing their creativity with the ball and with the camera as well. Yeah, fantastic. Nice little uh, plug there for the business as well. I like it. Um, <laughs> so my best of stay home challenges this week is called the Living Room Cup. And it is from Nike. And it looks to be Leroy Sane as the main face of it. And what the challenge is, is it looks like you have to put two shoes out together. And it is the sidestep challenge. And you basically have to count as many sidesteps. We'll see how many sidesteps you can do using the shoes, obviously jumping over slightly, in 45 seconds. Um, it's a really good challenge. It's, you know, it's keeping you active. It's, you know, as you said earlier, it's keeping fun, um, staying sane in this time. And the best I've seen so far in terms of the number of sidesteps in 45 seconds is Harvey Vale, who is a Chelsea and England youth footballer that we've, you know, we have a good relationship with. And um, he managed to do 103 sidesteps in 45 seconds, which is pretty impressive considering that that actually beat Leroy Sane's time. And we all know how quick Leroy Sane is. So <laughs> that's my stay home. Um, that's my best. Yeah. So that's my best of stay home challenges this week it is the Living Room Cup um, hosted by Leroy Sane. And obviously that is a challenge that, you know, feel free to give it a go yourselves for those that are listening. That wraps it up for this week's podcast, mate fantastic mate it's been a pleasure yeah no i had a good time it's certainly a, a topic that you know is very close to home for me and you it's you know it's, it's something we work with every day you know trying to produce plays that you know are creative but can also of course conform to what current trend of football is and that is you know very athletic very intense very fast and very tactically regimented hopefully you guys at home listening in enjoyed it or you know if you're listening in when you're on the run i actually listened to our podcast in the bath the other day so you know whatever floats your boat mate 
<laughs> whatever floats your boat. So hopefully you guys enjoyed this podcast. I guess all that's left for me to say is thanks again to Richards. Thanks, mate. Thanks to the listeners. Hopefully you enjoyed it and we will be back next week. Stay home, stay safe, and we'll see you soon. <laughs>